it's just me this week. I'm off out without Kenneth's supervision, but with an invitation to Iwitot, or I wish I'd thought of that. If you haven't heard of the event, about a dozen presenters get seven minutes to pitch an idea which they wish they had thought of themselves. And at the end, the audience votes and a winning presenter is crowned. It's a great event, as you'll hear. Always fun and inspiring. So many thanks to Meredith, Joanna and Nikki from Sophie and Fundraising Everywhere for the golden ticket today. There is a tube strike. So I'm just sat uh, on the Regent's Canal heading towards Holborn Studios in London where we'll take you inside, share maybe three or four of the presentations and see who picks up the Iwitot Trophy this year. Welcome to Season 6 of the Do More Good podcast, a selection of interviews with the movers and shakers from the third sector and beyond, telling the stories of people doing more good. I'm James, fundraiser at Blood Cancer UK, Marie Curie and now a Sue Rider. I'm also treasurer of the Events Fundraising Group of the CIOF and Bexley Cross Country Champion 1994. And I'm Kenneth, currently working for the amazing organisation that is Park Run, previously Charities Lead at London Marathon Events and proud of my time as a fundraiser at Alzheimer's Research UK. Father of three football-obsessed children, average golfer and previously 2017 rising star in the Next Generation of Fundraisers Awards. Beat that, James. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. Hi there, I'm James Wright. James Wright. Uh, yep, got you here, thank you very much. Um, yep, feel free to write your names in the name tag if you like. Um, Herb Sussel Haribo. <laughs> okay, we are just milling about before the start of the presentations today, and I'm joined by Joanna and Meredith, part of the organising committee here at Sophie. How are you feeling? Good, a little bit nervous, but excited to be here and uh, excited for our first hybrid event. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was not helpful to have a tube strike on the day, but we've been really encouraged by everyone's messages that they're still coming, and so we're looking forward to it. Well, it's a full room. It's packed. Yeah. So uh, tube strike or no, people come. But, you know, yeah, it's very, very exciting. Good. This is your 10th birthday, as I understand it, today. Yeah, it's a bit of sort of 10th birthday, 10th anniversary. We kind of don't know what to call it. I guess yeah. it's both, but we're doing a bit of both, anniversary and birthday. Okay, and you touched on the fact that you're hybrid this year. So how has it grown over the past 10 years? How has it, how has it changed for you? Well, I think we were really lucky in the beginning that when we had in-person events, they were always sold out. So when COVID happened, we had a really good opportunity to move the event online because we knew everybody loved it. Yeah. And we did that for a couple of years and we took it to America. We've had events in South America, it's all Spanish language. We've been all over and it's really worked for us as a small organization, able to put on a big event, invite a lot of people, doing it all online. And also it gives us access to a huge amount of speakers that we could have never necessarily had in London before. And now today, it's like the culmination of all of that pre-COVID, post-COVID has come together in like a beautiful anniversary birthday surprise in that we're here doing it live again. This is my first ever live one I've ever been to, but 
we're also streaming it to, I think, about 250 people around the world. Again, not just in the UK. So we're really pleased with it. Yeah, brilliant. And I, I've been before. I came to, to earlier ones. And it has got that feel-good feeling to it, that you come and we celebrate each other and talk about each other's successes. It's lovely. Yeah, I think it's just, it's like the positive fundraising conference. Like, you don't necessarily have to come with a notebook to learn, like, you know, exactly this, that, and the other about what you're going to do in your next campaign. But it's the little snippets. It's the idea that you might take away and spark. And actually, Meredith might have a good example of how people have done that. Yeah, so um, when we were doing our first online event just after we went into lockdown, um, it was a pretty depressing time to be a fundraiser, actually. I was pretty exhausted, but I knew I would get this shot of inspiration, and it would just, even if you don't come away with an idea that you can immediately apply, it just makes you proud to be a fundraiser to hear these positive stories. So I knew I was going to get something out of it, um, but I didn't expect to actually get an idea that we could implement. But Josh Lee, who is hosting this online today, uh, did a presentation about uh, a zoo that when they went into lockdown started something called Goat to Meeting, where um, they've lost all their income because people couldn't come to the zoo and pay for tickets anymore. But he knew that people still wanted to connect with animals. And so the zoo started a program where you could donate and then have a goat join your team meeting right. online. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought that was so lovely, but obviously uh, I was working for Mary Curie, a terminal illness charity. It has nothing to do with animals, so I didn't think we could apply that. But then I remembered that we had this supporter in Scotland who had um, a herd of alpacas that he would bring to the hospice just to cheer our families up. Yeah, okay. And who doesn't love an alpaca? Oh. And so I got in touch with the head of fundraising in Scotland and said, you know, do you think there's any way that we could apply this idea? She's like, well, let me talk to him. And it turns out he was a retired IT director. And so he's very technically savvy. He loved the idea. And so we turned it into, you know, alpaca Zoom meetings for Mary Curie. And we got a lot of press for it. Um, and we made some money from it. Um, but what was even better about it was it was just so inspiring for our team. Because to have something that was light and uplifting and that people could get behind was just great. My favorite story from it was that there was a guy who had just started dating this woman right before lockdown, and she had mentioned that she loved alpacas. So, like, their second date was an online alpaca Zoom date with Mary Curie. And they're now married, yeah, dear listener. I, well, yeah. you know, it's amazing what can happen from these little sparks of inspiration. Love it. And you are encouraged to take these ideas back into the office and steal them for yourselves and have your own alpaca meetings. Absolutely. Um, we wouldn't be still doing the event if people weren't stealing the ideas. So Brilliant. And Sophie helped to organize this, but to put this one on. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization and how people might get involved? Yeah. The, the best way to get involved is to sign up for our weekly newsletter. It arrives completely free of charge in your inbox and gives you lots of great fundraising ideas that hopefully will give you inspiration as well. But if you would like to support our work to keep Sophie free for everyone, you can make a donation on our website. You can join the Sophie 100 if you're a regular giver. Um, there's information about that on the website as well. And if you want to come to a future event, you know, just be on the lookout for Iwatat in the future. And if you want to speak at an Iwatat event or you want to contribute an idea to Sophie, just get in touch with us via the website. Brilliant. And we have 15 people who have done just that about to talk to us now. Thank you both very much. Great stuff. Thank you for having us. It's our 10th birthday today, and I think it's brilliant, and it's kind of testament to the people who have been part of Iwata over the years that this event has, has gone from strength to strength.
This is James Briggs, the founder of Open, who put on the event with Sophie. James is our host in person at Holborn Studios. We kept it going through COVID and we've had Iwatots all over the world. There have been Iwatots in the US and Canada and across Europe and in Australia. And it's an idea that's really spread. It's also something that people have taken in-house at their own organisations and done kind of fun stuff with. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. Over the years, we've, I guess we've had 150 really good ideas presented from the stage. We've had thousands of fundraisers who've sat in the audience and I hope have sort of taken, taken inspiration and done something new with the ideas or maybe just taken the ideas, gone away, replicated them, claimed them as their own because, you know, if it ain't broke, why, you know, don't fix it. Um, we've got a, a packed show for you today. Um, we've got a bunch of people talking about ideas that they wish they'd had but didn't. The idea of the event is that it is completely ego-free. The other key idea of the event is that it's quick and it's pacey, so everyone gets seven minutes. Over the years, we have, we've never dragged anyone off stage, although we were very tempted at one point about five years ago. Before we get into that, I just want to thank you all again for coming and also just to say, you know, thank you for everything you do. I think Iwitot is a great thing, but it isn't necessarily what's happening out here that's great. I think it's the people who attend and who are part of the audience that's great. You know. As a sector, we have an amazing job, you know, to connect people who need help with people who want to help. You know, it's a joy and it's a privilege and yada yada, but it's also pretty difficult. Um, and particularly right now, we seem to be... Uh, in a world that's quite intent on creating need rather than alleviating it. So, you know, what's wonderful, and I've said this before, this is more recycled content, um, is that we do share as a sector. I know a lot of people who come from sort of commercial organisations and really cannot believe that we tell each other what we do and what works and what doesn't and what's a good idea and what, what sort of, you know, where we've struggled. So I think, you know, the fact that we're all doing that together and the fact we do that year in, year out, and it doesn't just happen within these walls, it happens outside, you know, that's a really powerful thing. That's the a kind of tide that rises all the boats, you know, that helps all of us. So, you know, while we have a great time this afternoon, let's make sure that sharing what we know and sharing the information and sharing the inspiration doesn't end when we, uh, we all go off for our free wine. So hi everyone, I'll start by saying I'm ridiculously nervous but really excited to be here. Here's Claire McMinn, Regional Relationship Manager at Blood Cancer UK. Claire also helps Kenneth and I out behind the scenes on the show, an all-round superstar, despite the cheap ploy for votes by pretending she's nervous. So, what is the first thing that you do in the morning when you wake up? Do you hit your alarm, tell your phone to shut up, listen to the radio, maybe you have a cup of tea, maybe you're looking at this and thinking, what is this? If you've no idea, this is a tea's made, and unless you stole it from your grandparents, you've probably either never seen it or never used it in your life. But when it comes to the radio, I'm a bit of a fan. And I do admit that I follow presenters around from station to station. I'm currently following Scott Mills to Radio 2, reluctantly accepting maybe I'm getting old. <laughs> but if 2020 taught us nothing else, it taught us that we really need and enjoy being part of a community. It taught us that we took podcasts on our daily walk, only one obviously, no one broke any rules. And if you want to know how much, how many of us were taking podcasts with us, 
The amount of audience increase is 4 million over the last two years in podcasts. So what happens if I told you that my idea is linked to the way we heard the news during the Second World War on what my dad still calls the wireless? Or, as the Daily Telegraph put it, the power of the microphone to help charities. If I told you it all happens in three minutes, what would you do in three minutes? Are you running from your desk to the loo and back in time to the next team's meeting? Maybe you're going and making a cuppa or a quick call in between meetings. But the idea I wish I'd thought of is BBC Radio 4 Appeals. Every week since 1928, Weeks Good Causes, and now Radio 4 Appeals has been doing just that. And did you know that the first Christmas appeal on Radio 4 was done by the then Prime Minister, Winston Churchill? A lot has changed since 1923. Wembley opened for the first time. The King's grandparents got married that year too. But what really makes a good appeal? Maybe you'll say, some famous faces, and here's some to prove my point. Well, perhaps not, too. The top three ever have used Darcy Bustle, Nadia from Bake Off, and Paul Mayhew Archer, who most of you probably might not know, I certainly didn't, but he's actually the writer of The Vicar of Dibley. Story is the real driving force behind this, and is king of any good appeal. Something like this. A few years ago, I visited people affected by leprosy in Pemba, Mozambique. Their stories had such an impact on me. There are three million people in the world disabled by leprosy, and over 200,000 new cases are reported every year. Yet I knew so little about this disease and the devastation it causes. I saw how leprosy disabled their bodies. Uh, the power of Radio 4 Appeals really is the human voice. There's no photos, and unlike many of our Christmas appeals, no video, nothing jazzy to go up, uh, alongside it, not even the archers. In fact, the appeals don't come at trendy times either. The first broadcast is at 7.54 on a Sunday morning. I'm definitely in bed then. The next comes at 25 past nine that evening. And the third and final one comes on school pickup time for some of us at 3.27 on a Thursday afternoon. If you have been doing your donation pages, look away right now, because simplicity is key when it comes to Radio 4 Appeals. There's no razzmatazz, as it were, around them. It literally is the logo and the strap line that are the only things that change every week on this page. It's, it's really painfully simple. The lesson to us all is this. Every single appeal ends with an ask. It's simply not being afraid to ask. As fundraisers, we're really good at worrying about asking for money. But every single appeal ends with, and you can donate by, and people donate. In fact, it was so popular when it first started, there was even a regular giving ask that still exists today. In summary, the human voice is a really powerful fundraising tool. We've all seen TikToks and Instagram reels that have driven us mad. And I think we can say that Radio 4 Appeals were the first mass media charity appeals of our time. They bring incredible organizations into the homes and ears of millions of people. And I love the idea that people are sat at home waiting with a checkbook, old school, I know, to hear those three minutes and to be inspired by people. 
Most of all, the sums raised. Most of us will say that in the last few years have been some of the toughest of our careers, but the top three have all been over the last couple of years, which just shows that even after 100 years, Radio 4 appeals have stood the test of time. It's also shown us that if you don't ask, you do not get. I want to leave you with some final thoughts, and that is the appeals in the 1920s raised just over £200,000. At the time, that was enough for 79 days of a skilled tradesman, or enough for two cows. I'm a farmer's daughter, there has to be a link here somewhere. By 2007, it was over £901,000 which was enough for 9,016 days, or 34 and a half years, of a trade skillsman and 751 cows. You might say this is income from a bygone era, but I think not. The figures speak for themselves. I want to leave you with this. Scott Mills, in his final Radio 1 show, said, if you ever feel like there is no one there, or there is nothing good around you, turn on the radio. And that is why I wish I had thought of Radio 4 appeals that are bringing good work into the homes of millions of people and raising millions of pounds to help people create change for the future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Claire. You also smashed it. You seem to be one of those people for whom extreme nervousness just translates into charming self-confidence, because that, 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 that didn't, you know, based on your introduction, that didn't go how I thought it was going to go. That was brilliant. Um, I think we should all report in cows in our, uh, our next set of figures. That was Claire. Our next featured speaker is Jonathan Cook the director of Insightful. Uh, insight person. Uh, basically, I spend all my time learning about donors and charities and why people uh, give to charities in various ways. Basically, I'm a big nosy parker, if I'm really honest. But today, I'm going to talk to you about something that, if we're being really honest, is just a great big tax dodge. <laughs> so let me start with this. In my opinion, this mathematical formula is the single most important sum in the entire sector. Does anyone know what it is? What was it? Uh, no, it is not. That is a mathematical formula for calculating gift aid. That formula turns £10 into £12.50. And ever since Gordon Brown made every donation to charity gift aidable in 2000, that mathematical formula has made literally billions of pounds of free money to the charity sector. But there was always one bit of fundraising that slipped through the gaps. Donations of goods to charity shops. Every year, close to £750 million is spent in high street charity shops. If that amount of money was donated just through normal standard cash giving, the gift aid that the state would collect annually would be about £200 million. Free, a literal magic money tree. But the problem for charity shops is that it isn't possible to, to gift aid something like a coat. Technically, a coat has no intrinsic value uh, compared to actual money, plus you don't know if the coat's going to sell, and, and this is the real killer, um, you're not actually legally allowed to gift aid a coat. But where there is tax, there are tax loopholes. 
and forgive me, but this tax loophole, uh, but a tax loophole that actually benefits charities and not just billionaires, in my opinion, is a good tax loophole. So back in 2006, some clever spark at Sue Ryder worked out that once you'd sold the said coat, you had some cash, and cash is gift-aidable. But what to do? So Sue Ryder did something incredibly brave. They decided to offer to give that money back to the donor. They pretty much went to the person who donated the coat and said, we sold your coat for a tenner. Do you want that tenner back? Now, please put your hands up if you think you have the guts to go to your boss with a fundraising idea that is, we're going to give all the money that's been donated to us back to the donor. But hey, they did it. And who said the charity sector was risk averse, eh? But the risk was eliminated because fundraisers are amazing. So they didn't actually say, we've sold you a coat for a tenner, do you want the money back? What they actually said is, we sold your coat for a tenner. You're more than welcome to have that money back if you like. But if you'd consider donating that tenner back to us, we can gift aid it and turn that £10 into £12.50. And that would help more people who are dying get the specialist care they need during their, life, during their time of most need. Do you think you would do that? It's a much nicer way of putting it, I guess. Unsurprisingly, they did give the money back. Et voila, Sue Ryder Care had worked out a way to turn donated goods into uh, for charity shops into gift-aidable commodities. All right, now it isn't quite as simple as that. There was actually some legal wording and they had to get ironed out. Some lawyers got involved to make sure everything was right and the contracts were right. But if you want to get really, really geeky, essentially the shop offers to act as the donor's agent, uh, selling his or her items on their behalf. But it works. There was a reasonably hefty initial investment to upgrade tills, computers, to capture people with personal details, to label up all the donations in the shop itself so each uh, donation could be, could be attributed to the person who donated that item. They had to train volunteers, we all know what that's like, who would have to, who would most likely be quite elderly ladies, um, to manage a system that is essentially a great big financial taxation logistical process and to contact every person whose donated goods had been sold and to deal with a minuscule number of people who said, blimey, I didn't actually realise my vintage coat was worth so much. Actually, maybe I will actually have the money back after all. Um, about half of 1% of people do. But since Sue Ryder launched this in 2006, it's pretty much a common sight. Wherever you enter into a charity shop, you see volunteers tagging up the bag with a little QR code and barcode. You hear the beep as they uh, scan the transaction to attribute that sale to the person that donated the coat. This is uh, an actual letter that I received after donating some goods to my local charity shop. Look, £92, and uh, £95 they sold that for, an additional £23.24 in gift. They literally a magic money tree of money. And in fact, they even managed to make a typo <laughs> in the actual letter. This letter that went to thousands and thousands of people for years and years and years and has a typo in it. Fabulous. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so I'm genuinely surprised these days if I go to a charity shop and they haven't done shop gift day. I'm a bit like, come on folks, get with the programme, it's actually not that difficult. So, I know this might not be the most glamorous idea you've ever heard, it's not the goat one, okay? 
<laughs> but you might be thinking again, going, good Lord, have I really just spent seven minutes listening to a man talk about tax loopholes? And yet I know this is a picture of the current Prime Minister and not the Chancellor, but we've had four of them in the last three months and I haven't had a final photograph of any of the last four doing that. So you have to deal with the Prime Minister. Okay? But as an idea goes that has real impact, that transforms shops the length and breadth of the UK, literally has made billions of pounds, I don't think you can overlook the sheer genius of this idea. Because in 2021, Sue Ryder Care raised £59 million through their charity shops. So that's Bright Spark back in 2006, who spotted that loophole, who worked out the process for administering the system, who worked with fundraisers to make that approach to their donors, who trained shop volunteers, who convinced their boss to take the risk to essentially give money back to their donors has potentially made Sue Ryder Care up to £15 million of free money this year and every other year. So that is why I and my good friend Jimmy wish we'd thought of that. <laughs> Thank you. Jimbo is off at the bar, which makes a change, and means I can tell you about the website, domoregood.uk. There you'll find profiles, blog posts, previous episodes, and a link to the newsletter if you fancy some VIP content in your inbox. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at domoregoodpod, plus you can find us on LinkedIn. We've even started a TikTok. Anyway, he's on his way back. Hang on a minute, are they shandies? If you're online, you can raise your hands too. I can't see you, of course. But yeah, quite a lot of you. I too am a self-proclaimed rubbish drawer. And I'll promise I'll prove that to you before the end of the talk. If you've listened to any other episode of ours, you'll likely recognise this voice. It's Tony Banks. When he's not attending every event we do, he's a fundraising consultant with Think, and a terrible artist. Hercule Van Wolfwinkel also claims to be pretty rubbish at drawing. I'm going to let you be the judge of that. But his story started when his six-year-old son was playing on the computer too much. He wanted to get him off the computer. So to do that, he drew a doodle of their family dog, Nala. They had a laugh, and you'll see why. <laughs> I particularly like the shading across the nose for the real attention to detail. Thinking nothing more of it, he posted it on his Facebook page so his mates could have a laugh too. Within a couple of hours, he was getting requests from friends to draw their pets as well. And it wasn't until a friend offered to pay him to draw his pet that he realised that there was some serious fundraising potential up for grabs here. Fast forward two years, he's done 1,200 original pet portraits for people. He's built a community of thousands and thousands of people. He's gone global, he's a global sensation, and he's making people smile and laugh along the way. And of course, you can ask me if he raised money. Of course he did. He's raised over 200,000 pounds for his chosen charity, his Turning Tides, the homelessness charity, and Street Vet. An incredible sum of money from drawing rubbish pictures, I'm sure you'll agree. But the most staggering statistic I can give you is when I spoke to him, he told me he believes there's between 70 and 80,000 people across the world wanting him to draw their pets for him. The demand he has built is phenomenal. 
you want to see some of those pictures? It's Claudia Sniffer. Um, <laughs> my personal favorite. So this is Jennifer Nofes. What you get with a Hercule original is not just the incredible attention to detail in his drawings and the accuracy, of course. He gives you a name for your pet, a backstory, and even a fake customer review. Another one? Simon Towell. <laughs> I'm loving the yellow underpants in this one. One more? This is Alton Swan. So you can see the thing that he's doing here. He's creating something. He's giving his donors a value exchange in return for their support to his charities. He's won awards for this. So Boris Johnson, when he was Prime Minister, gave him an award. He went on to doodle Boris. He raised £500 for his charities from auctioning this picture of Boris. He's won a Just Given Award for Most Creative Fundraiser of the Year. He's featured in the Big Issues Top 100 Changemakers. He's been on BBC Breakfast News. He's been on Russell Howard's Good News. He's spreading his message far and wide across the world. He's recently just launched a book of his original portraits, which is now on bookshelves, again with proceeds going to his chosen charities. I'm definitely buying this for Christmas. So what can we learn from Hercule's story? Well, it's this sense of community that he's built. He has 188,000 people following him on his Facebook page. And these people are so moved by his journey, they continue to donate on a daily basis, share their own stories, some very sad stories, but they're relating to his journey and continuing to post and engage with him on a daily basis. This continues to raise more and more money for him. Um, he's continuing to innovate as well through his fundraising, so he's not letting things dry up. He carries on. This is his, it's just cut off at the bottom. It's a 24-hour draw-a-thon that he did, again for turning tides. He raised £78,000 from this live broadcast, and he did 85 drawings in 24 hours for his donors. Okay, so he's, he's also doing merch as well. So if you go onto his website, you can buy Dame Judy Stench's t-shirt and a whole host of other original drawings as well if you want to. Again, proceeds going to his charity. Christmas cards, he's really branching out now. So there's a Christmas calendar as well you can get to. I caught up with him about a week ago and I was completely blown away by the guy's humbleness. So this is Hercule, Phil. Um, when we spoke, he told me that he's now receiving offers to do private work of thousands and thousands of pounds for people to commission him to do his drawings. He's turning them down. He's sticking to his roots and realizing that he can continue to raise money for charity by doing his drawings the way he's doing them. And that's what I loved about meeting him. He hasn't strayed from his goal. He's turning down these private offers to continue to fundraise. There's a brilliant book by Seth Godin called Tribes. If you haven't read it, I fully recommend it. The biggest learnings I took from following Hercule's story was in tribes, Seth Godin talks about how people can create a movement by building a tribe, by doing something different, by doing something unique and something amazing. And that's what Hercule's doing for me. He's created something unique, very simple, but he's doing something amazing for an incredible cause. Seth Godin talks about not being a sheep and following what everybody else is doing and creating your own thing. Hercule isn't being a sheep, he's drawing the sheep. And when I spoke to him myself, he told me at the heart of everything he does is making people smile. I think that's something we can all take some warmth from right now in the world that we're living in. But he also, as I said before, hasn't forgotten his goal, 
what he set out to do in the first place, and that was to raise a lot of bloody money for his causes that he felt passionate about. So as fundraisers, I think we can all take some warmth in that too, never forgetting our goal and why we set out to do it in the first place. I promised you that I'd show you how bad I was at drawing. When I met him, of course, I asked him if he'd do a drawing of my pet. I told you the demand that he has. So I am currently 80,001 in the queue. <laughs> I might get my commission in 2028 or something. Um, so I had to go myself, right? And this is what I encourage you all to go and do after today. It was quite a fun task. Uh, this is my dog, Cody, with his best friend, Chipolata. And I'm going to say thank you for listening to me. Thank you to Hercule for allowing me to share a story. Don't be the sheep, everyone. Do your own thing. And there's my drawing. Thank you, everyone. Sadly, we can't feature all the speakers for you, but we do have one more. This is Wendy Plum, Assistant Director of Donor Engagement at Samaritans. Into my life unexpectedly. During the summer holidays, my other half, Kev, took time out to look after the kids and run the household. Then one day, I was in a meeting, the doorbell rang, and a big brown box sorry, appeared outside with who gives a crap plastered all over it. I opened it up and... 48 of these kind of loo rolls, these beautifully wrapped loo rolls with animal prints on the side appeared. My first thought was, why do I need this? And my second was texting Kev, messaging Kev, going, this better be good. So some of you may be aware of this and some of you may be using this. Um, I must give kudos to Le Leanne, who I think is here today, because um, she shared the supporter experience focus on this product a couple of years ago. And today I'm sharing why I love it as a fundraising product. It's eco-friendly, sustainable, beautifully designed, and 50% of its profits goes back towards improving sanitation and building toilets in a developing world um, and to charities like WaterAid. So that's great, but it also does more than that. But before I talk about that, I want to do a reality check. Because when I was at university, this phone was the most popular phone going. So this is the like, late 90s, early 2000s. And you were winning in life if you were sitting on a toilet playing snake. <laughs> and Nokia was the biggest brand going as well. But they rested on their laurels and they thought they'd nailed it. And little did they know that Apple and Samsung had already anticipated that people would want phones for maps, phones as cameras, phones to share their voice to the outside world. And by the time they responded, it was too late. Um, and I reflected on our sector and how ambitious we are about being supporter-centric. But I think how far we've still got to go to really get into the lives of our supporters. Not just a survey or a focus group, but really understand how we can fit into our supporters' lives rather than make them do things for us. This is my toilet. So we subscribe to uh, the Earth Edition and it's um, animals, raising awareness about animals. Um, and, um, uh, and actually, every time I look at my toilet, I feel this kind of uplift and happiness in my life. 
which probably is uh, a window into how mundane my life is. Because <laughs> I'm looking at it now thinking, hey, this is great. Um, but anyway, anyhow, the three founders of Who Gives a Crap had this really strong vision that every business should be doing business, but they should also be driving social change. So how do we get a product which is in everyone's everyday lives? The average person spends 240 days on the toilet. Imagine if your product was with your supporter 240 days in their lifetime, in the most intimate moments. And actually it did the functional job of wiping your bottom, you can reorder it really easily, and more. So the more bit is the bit why I love who gives the crap. It's in the lives of my family, and if you look on Instagram, it's in the lives of many families. In my family, it's a conversation starter. This is Joe, my five-year-old's bedroom, and he used the Arctic Circle uh, loo wrap and uses it as a background for his imaginary play with his polar bears, Star Wars, and Captain America there. And he asked Maya, my, my daughter, to read... Um, so there's always some fun facts in a really fun tone on, on the side to read what, what it said. And he now repeats, really annoyingly repeats the line, the Arctic is vanishing, we must save it. And he does that in all his play. <laughs> and this, so it's also mobilized Maya, my eight-year-old, to become a budding activist. So one day, she, I, I saw toilet rolls shoved in her book bag um, for school, and she was going to show and tell. She showed and told 28 other eight, nine-year-olds about why she loves sloths, why she loves jellyfish, and why protecting the planet is the thing to do. This is an eight-year-old who I have to negotiate with every minute on homework goals, and um, it's painful. And actually, my jaw dropped, and I felt... A little, little bit of pride there as well um, that who gives a crap has done that job for me so the inspiration points around this um, the big thing the big thing about who gives a crap which I love is that it's just effortlessly in our lives um, but it does start with supporter insight so you might have a big insight team that's great but actually, how do you get into uh, your supporters' lives if you've got a small budget? And you can do it. I, um, I used to work for, um, in rugby before working at Samaritans, and we had a really small team there. And we had a really fun insight program of a day in the life of where 10 supporters were, were running diaries, online diaries, and would be following how sport fits into their life. Um, the, uh, one of the founders, uh, Yehan, said, actually, you've also got to recognize you're never going to get 100% data. No one, no one has that. So you've got to blend insight with your gut intuition. And in this room here, we've got years and depth of experience in our sector. We talk to our supporters all the time. So use that to be curious and challenge the data. Fourth is feedback is a gift. I love complaints. Um, because actually it shows you what the problem is and so it could be that point of solving that problem could be the innovation and the final one is just keep keep evolving for us to share best practice here 
um, try and get ahead of our supporters because their needs are changing all the time and their behaviours, especially post-COVID, changing rapidly. So keep ahead of it. And um, we can play Snake, but there are other games out there too. Um, and the results are here. Five million donated to um, help sanitation and build toilets across the world um, in over eight years. And I'm going to leave you with SpongeBob. From toilet rolls to toilet humour, cult, cult children TV here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I hope that everyone uh, is coming away from this as energized and as inspired as I am. Whether you're working in a small charity or a large global organization, there's insights from all of those ideas that I think we can all apply. So a huge round of applause to our speakers once again. I also want to thank everyone who's made this day possible, including all of our fantastic sponsors, the University of Kent, AAW, and Open, our founding sponsor. So big round of applause. I also really want to thank our fantastic audience. You are supporting Sophie, the charity that I'm very pleased to be the chair of. Sophie is a brilliant idea itself. I wish I'd thought of it. Um, it is a charity by fundraisers for fundraisers. We have free resources for uh, charities that new ideas coming out every week to help improve your fundraising. And it's a great way for fundraisers to give back. So thank you to everyone who supports us. We are a tiny charity ourselves. This is our biggest fundraising event. Every ticket that you've bought, every donation that you've made helps power Sophie for the future. So we're incredibly grateful to you. We're, we're almost done. Um, there's now uh, the time in Iwatot where we vote for our favorite idea and we will be announcing the winners in a bit. Now, for those of us who are in the room, um, we're gonna be celebrating with some cake because what's a birthday without cake? Thank you again uh, to everyone who's made this possible and let's celebrate. Claire, fantastic work. You've just come off stage. How was it? It was scary, but really good fun. Yeah, you seemed really confident. You did a great job. Yeah, thank you. No, it was a really good experience and really honored to be invited to speak. Is that how it works then? So you were invited to come and talk and then you came up with your idea? Yes, yeah, so I put my name forward last year to speak and uh, didn't win the public vote. And then uh, this year got approached uh, to speak on the anniversary one. Okay, and then how does it work from there? Then you've got to go away and come up with your big idea or have you already pitched that? Yes, so you've got to go away then and think about it and you get a list of all the previous Iwatot ideas so you, you can't duplicate any of those. I'm a very sad fundraiser and had a list that I've collected over the years of ideas um, so it was a bit easier maybe for me yeah. uh, to come up with my idea. And uh, how long did it take? Like from start to beginning, practice getting here today how long have you spent preparing um probably a few days all in all yeah getting everything ready lots of research um wonderful people like richard turner ended up talking to me about his time and his experience with um his radio four appeals and lessons he's learned around it which really helped kind of gain a bit more insight into it when you're listening to the different ones 
I really geeked out and listened to lots of different appeals just to see what the general pattern was and understand them a little bit more. So I felt like I was presenting about an idea that not only I loved, but I really understood as well. Yeah, and it gives you that opportunity to go and knock on people's doors. Like you can go and introduce yourself to Richard Turner and say, let's have a chat about this idea I've got. I'm talking in a couple of months. You know, it's good for you as well to, to build any networks. Yeah, talking about it and then meeting up at different conferences and saying, actually, you've done this. What was your experience and would you mind helping? And Richard was really, really generous with his time. Okay. And if there are people out there thinking, I wish I had spoken at that, uh, yeah, I presume you would tell them to go for it. Definitely. It's a great opportunity to meet fundraisers, uh, learn about the sector a little bit more and the history of it, and perhaps really appreciate an idea that you maybe haven't even heard of before and can really look more into and maybe even go back to work and say I'd really like to do this let's do it yeah nice well you've earned a glass of wine let's go and grab one <laughs> who'd you vote for I ain't voted yet I should probably get it in now. um I can't remember the chap's name but gift aid Sue Ryder absolutely yeah gift aid genius um pet portraits him. Uh, the lottery one, the first one. Yeah. The gift aid. Can I just interrupt? Who did you who did you vote for? All day people postcode lottery. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I voted for the grant the grant writer, the, the script grant writer. Yeah. Uh, boring but retail gift aid WWF. I voted for the animal drawer. Oh my goodness, I mean, brilliant event, brilliant people, brilliant concept, nerve-wracking but worth every minute. This is Emma Mocken, Senior Customer Engagement Manager at Diabetes UK, who spoke about her local hospice capitalising on a goat invasion. Yeah, you said you were nervous, but I didn't see any hint of nerves up there. That was very professional. So I'm very, very grateful you said that. Um, I can't quite describe, even though Iwitot, I've been coming as a participant for years, and it's a lovely crowd. Everybody is wishing you well, but there's nothing quite like standing up on that stage and talking to fellow fundraisers. So I'm glad that that came across. It, it felt, as, as you were talking, like it was very personal. It's your local hospice that you were talking about. And, it, and it, it felt authentic, as if, you know, you really wanted to champion them. It was lovely. Good. I'm pleased because, little plug for my very local St. David's Hospice, they provide exceptional care for people across North Wales. They're right on my doorstep. They're a lovely group who really helped me put that presentation together and were so generous with their time. So if anybody's listening and they fancy buying their own T-shirt, that would be very, very appreciated. And talking of people giving up time, you were part of the, the mentoring project that, that happens with this. So three of you were mentored as you were preparing. How was that for you? So I was delighted to be mentored by the wonderful Leanne. And I can't tell you how much value that added. Just it's very different when we've been spending the last couple of years in our living rooms doing presentations. You know, constructive feedback is, is not always to hand so to have like somebody who's already been there done the Iwitot thing and to kind of give pointers and to really tease out the good stuff yeah. uh, made it a really good mentor experience so yeah, yeah recommended 
Well, it certainly all seemed to come together. Nice one. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right, we're not long from the uh, results any second now, and I'm joined by hot tip favourite Tony Banks. Really? Yeah, the really? drawing swung it for the crowd. Wow. You took the masses with you. Talk to me about where the idea came from. Um, so I was at the Just Giving Awards a few weeks ago, and I came across Hercule's story for the first time. I'm amazed it was the first time I'd heard his story, because it's gone so far-reaching. But I was kind of blown away by his creativity, obviously, but just this kind of humble story of drawing a picture for their kid, and how it's exploded into this kind of global sensation, and how much money he'd raised from just doing something so, so simple. Yeah. It was amazing. And I was going to ask you a question about how long it took to prepare the quite slick presentation that we just saw on screen. We're terrible for audio, uh, but trust me, it was good. Presumably, if you saw him at the JG Awards, you haven't had long to pull that together. Well, I, I mean, Sophie had been asking me to do this for weeks and weeks. So I was kind of throwing a few ideas around for a while. And when I went to the Just Given Awards, this was a story that stood out for me. And I kind of settled on that. So it's come together pretty quickly. But I met Hercule just last week for the first time kind of got his backstory, listened to what he had to say, and that kind of helped me to build my presentation around that. But quick turnaround, but, yeah, you know, we got there in the end. And I think there's a beauty in that, isn't there, that you can approach people and say, I'm presenting on you. Would you mind giving me half an hour of your time to talk me through this? It opens yeah. doors for you. He was so grateful for me sharing his story. He's a really humble man, and he's quite shy, believe it or not, right. but just so grateful that fundraisers from across the UK would be hearing him and maybe be inspired by some of the stuff that he's done. Well, I think we are minutes away from the results, so fingers crossed. Thank you. Yeah, that's why you're holding the bottle of champagne, right? Oh, obviously, obviously. <laughs> Ready to spray it all over you. <laughs> it's been quite a tough week at work. Uh, English National Opera are contesting uh, the Arts Council decision to remove them from the portfolio. Here's Marina Jones. As you might have guessed, she works at the English National Opera as Deputy Development Director. So to come here and share time with fundraisers who I've met online or met in real life is really great. To see the different speakers and the different campaigns that have inspired them has been really, really great. It's really hard to pick your favourite. Yeah, you go backwards and forwards, and I, I kept telling myself, right, if I ever get asked to do it, I'm definitely going to do something on arts and culture. I'm definitely going to do something on, on this. That's David Burgess founder and director at Apollo Fundraising. And as you say, then trying to decide and trying to settle on something, you think, yep, I could talk for seven minutes on that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. And the seven-minute thing's a challenge as well. It's I not a long time, is it, to get your idea But it's a in. really good challenge time, actually. I think it really focuses your mind on getting those key points across of, like, what's inspiring and, you know, what can you learn from that? What can you take away? Um, and too long, too often, speakers talk for too long. And actually, the seven minutes is a really good focus and discipline, I think. And in order to prepare for seven minutes, how, how much preparation did you do? I mean, how much, you know, talking in the bathroom mirror David was looks there? very guilty. <laughs> I think, the, yeah, the first run through I had, I think it came out at ten minutes. And so then trying to work out what to cut or yeah, what, what could be sped up. Um, yeah, it's... And I, I don't know, I need to check how close to seven minutes I was. I, heard, I overheard that everyone did very well. Everyone was bang on seven minutes, so good work. You're both looking very cool backstage, but presumably the nerves are jangling as to whether you're going to pick up the trophy. I think there's so many... I, I always forget about that. <laughs> there's so many good ideas, it's just great to be part of it. I, I think, that, as you said, there were some brilliant examples. I, I really love the goat example. 
so that was the one I voted for. I don't know if other people were voting for themselves, but you can't vote for yourself. You've seen it happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's supposed to be anonymous. Well, great stuff. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you both. We're about two, three minutes, I think, away from the announcement of who won. Uh, I'm just joined by some of our guests here today. Who did you vote for? Emma Mocken with her lovely goats. Uh, I voted for Hercule Van Wolfwinkle. I love that. <laughs> and I voted for the People's Postcode Lottery because I think it's amazing. Lovely. We'll see. Thank you both very much. So we're just off stage waiting for the results and I want to hear about the, your eight-year-old daughter and how, it, how uh, Who Gives a Crap turned her into an activist. Yeah, I mean, it was a surprise to me as well. Uh, Maya is the most kind of passive, introvert about most things. Everything just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And actually, we do take time to kind of go, hey, think about the planet, think about you know the environment, and she's never responded to that. And so I think it was about her own self empowering her own learning through something as simple as toilet roll, having sat on the toilet all that time reading it, and um, and it being fun and really um, and not about education at all. And and also there's something about design, the way products are designed to really appeal, and for her to show off to her. Friends. To the rest of the playground. Yeah, yeah to the rest to turn of the playground. an ambassador in a playground. Actually, that holds a lot more weight than anyone could print on anything. So it's lovely. Absolutely, absolutely. So, and her friends come over and they go, "Where's your toilet roll?" <laughs> Brilliant. So they're all visiting the toilet. Well, good luck with the results. Fingers Thank crossed. You. Thank you. That was great. Of this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. We will shortly announce the winner of this evening. Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone. First of all, once again, thank you all for coming. It's been a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. And of course, Whilst it's about celebrating great fundraising ideas, let's face it, it's also all about winning. The winner is the keyboardist from Genesis, Tony Banks. I'm a gobsmacked. Thank you, everyone. This is amazing. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. And just so much fun speaking to you all, but it's heard your story, right? So it's down to him and his amazing fundraising and incredibly rubbish drawing. So um, <laughs> if you do anything today, go check out his Facebook page and maybe drop him a little donation to his charities as well too. Thank you. I'm Just before we go, can we ask a favour? We would very much appreciate if you can leave us a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast platform. You can also find out more about us on our website at domoregood.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with either James or myself, you can contact us at contact at domoregood.uk. Let us know how we can improve the show, whether you have a recommendation for a guest or whether you'd like to feature yourself. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good.